We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to fight me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition, a remote edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And this is your week 15 preview, a grudge match. <laughs> Bill's Dolphins with Nate Geary and Alfar Tiaga. Your time is 8.15 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, Ralph Wilson Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. The weather Snow flurries with potential lake effect snow under 30 degrees. Chris, isn't that like typical Buffalo weather? It's perfect, perfect football (laughs) weather. Perfect football weather. And it needs to be known. I've been saying this for years. When you schedule Bill's Dolphins, the game in Buffalo must be in December. That has to be a must when scheduling comes around in the spring. But, but but then that also means that they're probably going to put our game in Miami in like week one or two where it's 100 degrees. I'm fine with that. You're, you're okay with that? Yeah. You like that trade-off after what you saw this year? Yeah, because the weather goes both ways. If you're going to put Miami in Buffalo in December, then you should put Buffalo in Miami in September. The crew for the week is Bill Vinovich, which, Chris, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a huge fan of Bill Vinovich. Because he's Mr. I'm going to put my hands in my pocket and let you boys play football. He's he's refed a number of our games that we've won against the Kansas City Chiefs. I do like that. I am a fan. And who do we have on the call? We got Fox's F team. Kevin Coogler. Yeah, Kevin Coogler and Mark Sanchez. Coogler. Coogler. No, it can't be the guy who just got like kicked out of Mexico. No, <laughs> he went down with the Arizona. It's Sean Coogler. 
Coogler and who? Mark Sanchez. The Sanchez. Good Lord. So do they genuinely think that little of this game? Um, well, it's being aired on NFL Network. So, I mean, they only and NFL Network only employs so many people that can call the game, if you will. I think <laughs> the four o'clock game is actually going to be done by like Rich Eisen and Kurt Warner, who work for the NFL. So when they when this they, is wild. Yeah. So how is it that CBS, like NFL, is the league's network? How is it that they can't afford? It's not CBS broadcasters. It's not CBS. No, 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 this is my point. Like, see, they don't have. So what you're telling me is the NFL doesn't have the ability to pull better broadcasters? No, because they are reserved for Thursday night football, Sunday night football, Monday night football, and. I don't even know if there's like a contract with the NFL and CBS where they can use somebody like a Nansen Romo. I don't know how that works. I mean, I think all the people that are calling Saturday games either work for the NFL Network or for Fox. No shit. All right. Well, that I guess that makes more sense, but Jesus, this sucks. I'm going to have to listen. Well, luckily, we won't have to listen to it. I'll have to listen to it on the rewatch when I come home and try to actually like see it, see it. But, man, I feel bad for all you suckers at home. Chris, you're going to be there with me, aren't you? Yes, I am. I'm uh, making chicken wing dip. Yes! Wing dip! Got him fist pumping already. Chris, I don't know if the I don't know if the listeners can tell we're not in the same room together. I mean, you did mention it off the top. I think what you said your wife has malaria or dysentery. <laughs> malaria? No, it's called tonsillitis. And uh, if you must know, it the, the doctors called it one of the most severe cases they've seen in a long in an adult in a long time. Uh, I think her migraines, facial numbness, neck pain, like that's not. That's not a normal sore throat. So here we are. I'm doing this. You hooked me up with the pod track and a microphone and a bunch of stuff that I fumbled through. Chris, I'm all thumbs when it comes to this production thing. You got so mad. You got so mad when I couldn't figure it out, right? Yeah. So this week at the tailgate, I was approached by Scott from Ottawa who brought me this beer. I'm going to be drinking it at the top of the show tonight. It's called the Allen Amber from the Evergreen Craft Ales. Now, it's a beer, Chris, that's brewed exclusively for the Ottawa Bills backers. That's Canadian interesting. Beer. Yeah, right? The, Cana- the the Ottawa Bills backers have their own beer. And th- he brought me a four-pack of it so that we could, sp- specifically so we could r- review it on the show. Now, we still need to do this- Scott from Omaha's beer. Oh, I know. I'm that's saving sitting, that because I had That's sitting one. over here in the fridge in the studio. Because I had one, and it was so good that I wanted to save it for, for like a really special occasion. If we win this weekend, we're going to review that next week because I want you to taste maybe one of the best IPAs I've had in a long time. Now, this thing, Evergreen Craft Ales in Ottawa, Ontario. Let's see. What? Silver 7 Road? <laughs> Ingredients. Chris, I don't know if you can see this. It's the no, is I that can't. Not a, is it or is that not the most uh, basic ingredients label you've ever seen? Yeah, it looks like it has like seven words written on it. I can't really <laughs> see it because you have a poor exactly camera. It. 
The ingredients are water, barley, hops, and yeast. No shit. No shit. We all know that. But what that tells me is there's probably not a lot of preservatives pumped into it, which means this is probably going to be a really good beer. So as I crack this thing, get a little bit of spice, get a little bit of spice. It seems, hmm, it smells like an amber. I want to get a hit of that. See, now that's what an amber beer should be. It should have a little bit of body to it. Be light on the tongue, though, and not have this weird smoky finish like there's Hamburg Brewing Company, which I know that they're big around here in western New York. Holy shit. Their amber has this weird smoky aftertaste. I think Great Lakes Brewing Company does it, too. They have like a, they have an amber ale. Uh, what's it? The Elliot Ness? And that sucks, too, because, it's again, it's, it's got all the flavor, but it's got this weird aftertaste. This is amazing. Scott, thank you for bringing this. Like it has the body, it's got the it it ta- it has a ton of flavor, and at the same time, like you guys up in Ottawa are getting spoiled with this. Hopefully, people at your bar are buying a ton of it. So here tonight, we're talking about the Miami Dolphins against the Buffalo Bills. In the last two seasons, the Bills have won the AFC East. The first time since I, Chris, anyone except for New England, has won back-to-back since 2001. What is that, like 19 years where the Patriots just kind of ran the show? Yeah, something like that. In 2020, the Bills swept the division, and they clinched the title by Week 15. And over the course of the season, the division race was a runaway, with the Bills hilariously bouncing the 10-win Dolphins from the postseason picture with backups. (laughs) And you know that hurt their feelings, right? Oh, yeah. Like we had to put our backups in and we go, okay, we're, I think it was like 21 to seven. And then our backups scored 21 against their starters. Like it was just a team crumbling, but but that happened because the playoff situation was already very sewn up. As soon as we knew we were going to win that game, or at least had a good shot at it. They said, listen, there's nothing else here to prove. Let's get out of here. Our offense works. We'll go play the wild card round. In 2021, it was a little closer. You know, a Patriots team that looked like it had some of its shit together, stealing a game from Buffalo, and the Bills needing to win at home in Week 18 to cement themselves as division title winners. Over the course of those two seasons combined, the Bills only trailed in terms of division lead for two weeks. Two. Duh. Dos. Deuces. Isn't that a little bit crazy when you think about it? It is. Two seasons, and we've only trailed in the race for two weeks. Yeah, that's crazy. And then that's when you write them off. They're no good. Fire everyone. (laughs) Now, a lot of fans, I think, expected 2022 to be a lot like that. And I can understand why. You still have, have this MVP caliber quarterback. You've got a deep roster on paper going into the season. You have some of the league's best talents at cornerback. It's linebacker, safety, wide receiver. Unfortunately for us, the AFC went from being mostly also Rams to a division full of competitive teams. Even the Patriots, who have that bag of milk at quarterback and a coaching staff that's all thumbs, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And the Bills have spent most of the year inundated with injuries. The result's been a 2022 Bills season that's been filled with fan frustration over various facets of our team, 
when the reality is that the division got better faster than we all expected. So the result has been a pretty charged, emotionally charged NFL season in terms of how we interact with other fan bases, specifically on social media and specifically, specifically with the Miami Dolphins fans. I think a a relationship that was made a little more vitriolic by the fact that in a season, a lot of fans expected to run away with the division again. We've already doubled last season's divisional loss total. And Miami has until like the last two weeks looked like a real threat to what could be their third straight AFC's title and, you know, default playoff berth. So one of the things that come out, comes out of this, something that has tickled me to death has been the beef between content creators that we like to call friends from around the division. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You guys know about our weekly AFC's Roundup podcasts, and if you're not listening to them, you are missing out. And the guys we chat with every week just about the respective teams are surprisingly candid. They, they, they've they gotten like us. They open up a little bit. And what they find is that we're not always looking to punch down. We just want to hear what you have to say. They're funny, and by and large, they have a good time keeping honest perspective about their franchises, and they're a lot of fun to chat with. So it really made me happy to see that known to a tongue of a Loa hater, an enemy of overreactive Dolphins fans on social media everywhere, Nate Geary, was all of a sudden on social media arguing with weekly AFC's Roundup guest, Elfar Tiaga. It was hilarious watching what went from a debate over ideology to a debate over credentials and inevitably just turned into them sniping and subtweeting each other for weeks on end. And so it really, it was after the bills lost week three, that things got really heated, both literally and figuratively resulting in a really frustrated agreement by both parties involved that rather than sniping each other on social media, they'd come together on this podcast and settle their differences Mono we mono ahead of a game that, as Elf has been telling us ever since his Dolphins won back in week three, will likely decide the fate of the divisional race here in the AFC East in 2022. And so with that, I bring in our guest for the evening in the blue corner. 
The only man pretentious, the only man pretentious enough to wear boxing trunks and a bow tie, the pride of Frontier High School and the Frontier Falcons football team, the self-proclaimed best holder in Western New York, although he did kind of refuse to put his title on the line, millennial foodie extraordinaire, WGR 550's Nate Geary. Here, 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 here. Thanks for having me, fellas. And fighting out of the red corner. In his signature New Balance and shorts combo, because he gets to wear them year-round, hailing from South Beach, Florida, where the Dolphins do not actually play, <laughs> Five Reasons Sports on Elf Artiaga. Hey, hey. Now, now gentlemen, <laughs> here are the rules. Let's have a clean, I mean, it's not going to be a clean conversation. Who are we kidding? Protect yourselves at all times. I would say no shots below the belt, but you guys wouldn't listen to me anyway. Mm-hmm. Let's, Chris, let's get ready to rumble here. I want to start with this. You know, it's almost like in baseball. You want to give the visitor kind of a, you want to give him first crack at this. Because when I try to figure out where this kind of headbutting started, Nate, I got to tell you, it's your fault. <laughs> it's, it is, it is 100% Nate Geary's no. fault. And here's what I'll say. It had a lot to do with your, your, I think it was with Kyle Knapps on a podcast, which then turned yeah. into a viral tweet where you proclaimed that Tua Tungavaloa was the fifth best quarterback in the AFC East. Now, that was just because uh, Mitch Trubisky was here. If he wasn't here, that wouldn't have been true. <laughs> now, Elf, I want to give you the floor first. Because I want to hear it from, I want people to hear your side of this. You're scrolling Twitter one day and you come across this. This is the the birth of this kind of feud you and Native had over the last few months. What was it like for you stumbling across this nonsense? Well, an- initially it was uh, okay. You know, this guy's uh, you know he's he's putting his his uh, he's doing the Hulk Hogan thing, running from one side of the ring to the other. <laughs> you know, for Bills fans saying na 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 na. You know, our our. Uh, our chief rival, because let's face it, at the time in the division, the division was is barren. It's it's a bunch of you know clowns, really. Essentially, the the uh, you know it was the, the Patriots on the way out. The Jets are always the Jets, and the Dolphins were on the on the way up, but they had just tanked the the, the year before. So you know you you essentially have no real competition. So it just seemed to me like Nate was actually just going from one corner to the next, you know, and Bills fans were just you know, smelling each other's farts, and they were just enjoying the moment, right? You have the division to yourself. There's really no danger whatsoever. But then Nate starts arguing his point as if he actually believed it. And I'm like, okay, no, no, this, you know, and and as I am wont to do, you know, people being wrong on the internet must not stand. I must. So, so, Nate, before I give you the floor, I will say this. One of one of the highlights of it for me was when you two started, like, literally, it, it almost turned into a dick measuring contest because you were like, bah, I've got followers. And he's like, well, if you count my employer's followers, like, what do-? it was one of the funniest things because I'm like, I know what Elf does for a living. I know what Nate does for a living. I love these guys both. And I think this is fucking hilarious. So, so Nate, you felt the way you felt. You said what you said. You started this this giant back and forth, which then, Nate, it hasn't earned you any friends in the Dolphins fan base, has it? I disagree. <laughs> I disagree completely because I 
now am a fan of Elf's. I am a fan of Nick Hicks. We're Nick and I are friends. He's coming into Buffalo on Saturday for the game. I'm going to try to meet him out after the game. Um, Yeah, you know what? Say what you will. Uh, Here's the thing, and I said this yesterday. A little known thing about me is I have multiple roommates from college that are from Rochester. And if you know anything about Rochester, you know that they have allegiance to nothing. They are this mishmash of people that aren't in an actual city and they don't have any really true professional sports teams. So their allegiances are spread very weirdly. I have I had four Rochester roommates, Drew, all Dolphins fans. So my best friend, I am the best man in his wedding next year diehard Dolphins fan. So part of this is it comes from a very personal place of knowing how much they care and how much, you know, I just like poking the bear a bit, you know? So it comes from a very personal place for me. Um, but yes, the, the, listen, I have come a long way on Tua and well, I, I, was I, have say, I, I have the receipts. You don't even need to talk about it. Cause I have the receipts and here's what I want you to do because okay. I sent, I sent this via DM to elf. I said to be a DM to Elf the other day. against me. And I go, here's a screenshot of Nate Gary's tweet that says, it's a new era in the AFC East. The Patriots are going to be chasing the Bills and Dolphins because they have franchise quarterbacks. The Jets have a top-tier defense. The Patriots have Matt Judon and question mark. And that was on December 1st, 2022. Stevenson's pretty good. And I sent it, and I sent it to Elf, and I was like, Man, how a couple months. And of course we chortled about it because it's that's fucking hilarious, Nate. Like here you are for literally fighting half the Dolphins fan base online. And then a couple months later, it's but here's what I want you to do in two minutes or less. Walk mm-hmm. us through how you got. I, I want to hear your, your argument from how you got to fifth best quarterback in the AFC East to that statement just a, a little over two weeks ago. And then where you stand today after seeing his last two Dolphins games? Sure. Um, he wasn't good. <laughs> he wasn't good. He didn't have a good supporting cast, and he didn't have an offensive coordinator that built a system around him. And Tua is lucky that the Dolphins – well, A, the Dolphins got this coaching, at least right now, initially, it looks like they got this coaching situation right. And when you have a quarterback that needs that needs structure – it's really hard to have a defensive-minded head coach. And, you know, when when you have a defensive-minded head coach, you see, like, it, it, in New York with the Jets, how they treated the Zach Wilson situation, and um, now he's in, in street clothes, watching on the sidelines, pouting by himself. They have completely botched that situation in New York, right? And they basically followed the same model that, you know, Brian Flores followed. So Brian Flores was the wrong coach at the wrong time for the wrong quarterback. And they did and Chris Greer, frankly, at the time, really didn't do a whole lot to surround him with talent to really identify what he was. This was a really important make or break year for Tua. He walks in and what I, I actually tweeted this the other night. Tua is a quarterback that largely is he's a vibes. He's a positivity guy. He feeds off that positivity. And when he feels supported, just like anybody in, in any profession you are, when you feel supported, not only physically, like you, you they, they surround you with a good supporting cast, but they also support you mental, mentally as well. Um, it's incredible what you can accomplish. But listen, I think over the last two weeks, you've seen some cracks in the foundation. Now, do I believe the script is out on Tua and the Dolphins offense? I guess. Good luck. I mean, you know, are they going to, they live and die by the big play. You know who else lives and dies by the big play? 
Buffalo Bills, right? I mean, this offense has been living or they, they just have one extra really good weapon that the Bills don't have. So, um, yeah, I think like all in all, the, the, the big one, listen, part of this too is just admitting when you're wrong. People are wrong all the time. I'm not right all the time, but what I did is I watched enough to say, I think he's going to be held back by his physical traits unless they find an offensive coordinator who is a young guru type guy. And that's what you got in Mike McDaniel. Now, Elf, when you hear Nate say these things, <laughs> first of all, it has to warm your heart just a little bit, right? Well, he's absolutely right. He's 100% right on on the entire situation, but it was actually worse than that. Our previous head coach viscerally hated Tua yeah. Okay, he wanted to draft, and I know that there that his minions in the in the in the media, Michael Lombardi are out there spreading lies of what he actually wanted in the draft. But there's pretty good information from people that cover the team down here that he wanted Andrew Thomas, the offensive tackle, at number five. And he was infatuated with Jordan Love. All right? He hated Tua Tungvaluwa. Okay? He just didn't like the quarterback. He didn't want to play him. He was for, It was forced upon him the first season to have to play him. Then he does play him. Tua comes up short in Buffalo, and that entire offseason, he's thinking about replacing him the very next year. And the very next year, which was last year, he spends the entire year trying to trade for Deshaun Watson to the point where him and his general manager butt heads around the, the, the trade deadline. Uh, Brian Flores goes around the general manager and tries to engineer two trades, one trade of Tua Tungvaloa out of here and one trade of Deshaun Watson coming in. And then that's when the decision was put to Stephen Ross. Pick one or the other. Pick Brian Flores and Deshaun Watson or pick Tua Tungvaloa and Chris Greer. He chose Chris Greer. Chris Greer hired the guy that he wanted to hire the year before. If you guys remember, there's uh, they tried uh, Chris Greer tried to hire Mike McDaniel as the offensive coordinator and was even prepared to offer a pick to the San Francisco 49ers. And the 49ers said no. And they, they declined our interview request. I have to interject here for a second as uh, one of our resident uh, petty sons of bitches. Uh, Stephen Ross also wanted Tom Brady. He also wanted Tom Brady. So let's not forget that. Let's not Listen, forget Drew, that. Drew, I'll, I'll show you how much of a mess that was. In 2019, our tank year, okay, two was not here. All right. Uh, if you looked at the, the investigation, it turns out that Stephen Ross met with Tom Brady in 2019 trying to lure him from the Patriots, okay? Uh, the following year, we had a guy who was the owner-in-waiting. He owned shares, Bruce Beal. And he actually met with Tom Brady this past offseason. Bruce Beal has since been sued and is now no longer a managing partner and cannot own any part of the Miami Dolphins going forward. So the new owner of the Miami Dolphins will actually be Stephen Ross's daughter uh, beginning, I, I believe, next year. So Bruce Beal is also out. So everybody who tried to replace Tua Tungvaloa, Tua has actually <laughs> won a struggle against all of those people, and all those people are actually out right now. That alone, the fact that he's like he's he's this guy that everyone keeps trying to squash, and he's like, nah, I'm still here. I'll just outlast you. That almost makes me want to root for him. And I'll tell you this. I know there's a lot of people who are going to listen to this who listen to our AFC's Roundup show, and they go, oh, look, here it is. Drew's just lobbing softballs for Elf. This is a big pity party. You know, Nate's, <laughs> Nate, Nate's the bad guy beating up on Elf, and we're all here to – no, 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 because fuck you too sometimes, Elf. 
you and that hard rock son account, you can both kiss my ass. You know it. You've spent how many weeks now trolling Bill's fans? <laughs> Admit it. Have you or have you not maybe been a little rough on the Bills fan base over this whole weather thing? Well, come on, you gotta you gotta admit it's it's hilarious, okay? When <laughs> when you analyze the game and one of your chief complaints about the game is that the source of all life on Earth is what costs you the football game, then you know how can I not troll you on that? <clears throat> you know, I, I, I there's one thing though I, I wanted to say to recap something about about the Tom Brady thing because I think this is an important thing. Everybody wants Tom Brady except for Giselle Bunchen. So like, <laughs> it's not a surprise that the Dolphins wanted Tom Brady. Everybody wants a piece of Tom Brady. By the way, someone's going to want a piece of his old ass next year, too. So it's not. This, I'm not going to lie. This Tom Brady thing reminds me of a line my father once gave me. He goes, hey, just remember, when you see a 10, there's somebody out there who's sick of her, too. Like, there's already somebody <laughs> out there who's sick of her shit. And I was like, you know what? That, that's 100 percent correct. Yeah, there, there's, absolutely, the there's absolutely a, a Bucks fan somewhere that woke up today and said, man, our quarterback sucks. <laughs> yes, that's a fact. That's a fact. He woke up. It was beautiful this morning, you know, 65 degrees. He woke up and he's like, I hate Tom Brady. And I'm waking up and it's 35 degrees here. And I'm like, I hate Tom Brady. But we that's the only thing we have in common. Chris, did you have that on your bingo card that we would all get together and dunk collectively on Tom Brady? I love that our collective fan bases can I mean, all just say fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's everybody loves dunking on Tom Brady. Like what I said, remember what I said a couple weeks ago, including Giselle. Giselle <laughs> left Tom Brady for Rex Quando. Yeah, that is true. She left Rex him Kondo. for some ju- some jujitsu, like really tan, really fit jujitsu instructor, and I was like, oh my God. You know who's going to catch a roundhouse kick in the face in those babies? Tom Brady, if he gets lippy. It's it's a terrible situation for him. Good for so him. now, as we move forward, we talk about Bills versus – because all right, so we're all on the same page that Tua kind of overcame a lot of stuff. That's how we got here. That's how we all got here, and that's how you two know each other. And that's mm-hmm. why we're here doing this together. Now, Elf, do you feel vindicated at all by the way the Dolphins' offense has looked up to this season – and then kind of this turn that they've taken over the last two weeks that has every Dolphins fan hand-wringing. Well, I, I can say that you could kind of see it coming, although, you know, you really couldn't, okay? Because as it's happening, you're wondering, what the hell are you doing? Because it's just one thing or the other, okay? And it hasn't been the offensive line, by the way, although I, I did a breakdown of the film today of the, the Charger game, and it seems like the offensive line reared its ugly head at every crucial moment of the game. But the San Francisco game is just completely on Tua. Um, he could have thrown for 500 yards in that game. Uh, and, and, I, and it's not hyperbole. Uh, I think Dan Orlovsky actually said the same thing. Chris Sims, who, who despises Tua, said he could have thrown for 500 as well. He missed wide open people. The, the Charger game, he was just, it, you know, he was not good, but his receivers were just as bad. And Mike McDaniel was trying to, you know, fit a, and a square peg into a round hole the entire game. I got a stat for you, which is it's it's astonishing. Do you know what the Miami Dolphins rank last in? Hmm. And it's the only category on offense that they last they, they rank dead last in the NFL. They they rank dead last in pass attempts 
in the short area of the field from zero to nine yards and behind the line of scrimmage. Do you know how many they average a game? Four. You nailed it. it they average <laughs> four passes a game from zero to nine yards. Wow. Like that's not sustainable offense when no. every play you run is down the field and that leads over and so, over and over again. And I was going to say, that leads to all this ugliness that we look at. I mean, you, you're talking about statistics. Those two games, 49ers and Chargers, 54% and 35% completion percentage. That happened in an NFL football game to a guy who is one of the top 10 passers in the league right now. Three touchdowns, but three turnovers. Only averaged 17 points per game, even though over the last month of football, you guys had 33. And the, the crazy thing that I saw was that against the Chargers, his completion percentage was actually better under pressure than when he was kept clean, which tells me that that's not his fault. You guys are dialing up plays that even when he has a pocket to operate from, there's nobody open. <laughs> there's nowhere for him to go with the football. Like it. Now, this is what I, I want to ask you both about because Bill's fans are familiar with offensive line injuries. Like we know about this, how they can affect a game. Some of that, some of that's their fault. Cause to Elf's point, you would have tweet today, Elf. I think I saw it. You, you were just like crucial moment in the Chargers game. Chargers, you know, touchdown, answer with the, and then Robert Jones gives up a sack, ends the drive. And then basically that ruined your game. You, you guys were going tit for tat. I remember watching it going, all right, the Chargers keep leaving this door open. Eventually, Miami's going to walk through it. Oh, God, then, it was so maddening, yeah. And then well, – the Chargers were the Chargers were hell-bent on chargering. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Whole game. Whole game. <laughs> they tried to give you that fucking thing. Whole and, game. And yet, at the same time, it, to your point in the tweet – the offensive line's fingerprints are on some of the key moments of this game. But by and large, your team did not, in terms of offensive design, give him much to work with. Now, I don't know if that's because they called up a couple things and then uh, your offensive coordinators didn't give him much to work with. Like In terms of rushing, they don't give him a ton of rushing support. And they don't call up a ton of stuff, or at least the stuff that they're dialing up underneath for the short routes, the crossers, the drag routes. If if a team is committed to taking that away, but also just jamming your outside, Tua doesn't. It's just like he's week fourteen. He, you know, I go to the, what is it, Ben Baldwin, Computer Cowboy on Twitter. He puts out those charts. He was the most inefficient quarterback in the entire NFL by a ridiculous margin. Josh Allen was he had a really bad day against the Jets and we won. And he was still somehow better than Tua in this regard, which is crazy because you're talking about a guy who's in the top three of the league in touchdown percentage, yards per attempt, yards per catch. The largest the, the lowest joint EPA and CPOE of any quarterback in football. So now when you think about what that means in the context of Bills versus Dolphins, you're talking about Elf, an offense that has struggled to give him secondary and tertiary options in that short area where, hey, here's a check down. Here's a safety valve play. This is a football team that even without Von Miller has been able to create pressure, has been able to corral in whether it's the A gaps and B gaps, whether it's coming off the defensive end. They have gotten after a quarterback and made him move off his spot and usually get to his like fourth read faster than the guy probably wants to. How concerned are you about that after watching these last two games? Oh, extremely concerned. And and, and I'll tell you why. Um, 
there was a time uh, during this season, it started with the Cleveland game, where it looked like they were transitioning the offense toward the type of offense that could go into Buffalo and even in this type of type of weather and actually win. Um, against the Browns, they, they threw it for 300 yards. They ran it for 220, 230. And it looked like that was something that they were going to start doing, you know, every single week. But then you had that that stubborn and disrespectful first half against the Texans, which – and I said so at the time. Everybody's like, why are you complaining about 30 to nothing leads at halftime? Well, I'm complaining about a 30 to nothing lead at halftime because they threw it 38 times in the first half to try to get a 30 to nothing lead so you could rest everybody in the second half. And, of course, what did that do that got you Teron Armstead injured? And, you know, you look generally like crap in the second half of the game as you sat a bunch of guys. And then you almost had to bring Tua back into the game because these guys scored two touchdowns. Okay. Ever since then, they haven't established a run. And it's been the same thing. They've they they've gotten to that. And my partner on the podcast, Chris Kaufman, calls it the, the candy jar because Jimmy Johnson said one time when he was our head coach that – Dan Marino was the candy jar and that you have to, that a little bit of candy is okay. But if you get too, if you eat too much of it, you're going to get sick. Well, you know, Mike McDaniel is essentially getting extremely sick on the candy because everything is a shot play. Everything is downfield. It's way too aggressive and it's putting way too much pressure on the defense that is actually transforming itself kind of successfully, but playing way too many snaps. And it's just a recipe. It's a recipe for disaster against a team like Buffalo. And I joked about this, but I believe it. I think the bad weather actually helps Miami now because it's going to force them to not do the these stupid things. <laughs> now, Nate, you know, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. What are you saying? No, I was going to turn it over to you, Nate. What do you think about that? So I think there's a lot of parallels to be drawn. First of all, what I'm going to say is that I think Ken Dorsey, the Bills' offensive coordinator, Mike McDaniel, suffer from a very similar situation. Inexperience. They're rookie play callers, right? I mean, Mike McDaniel was in the Kyle Shanahan system, and Kyle Shanahan's calling those plays. Now, he is, I mean, very hands-on. He's very in-depth in preparation and what's you know what kind of game plan they're going to call on a given day, just like Ken Dorsey was in Brian Dable's system for a long time, right? But these are two guys that, for the first time in their careers, are calling plays, you know, getting prep work from Joe Brady and getting prep work, you know, from the Dolphins quarterback's coach and everything else, right? What they're struggling from is understanding that their offenses are built to do the hardest things well, which is stretch the football down the field. And when when you're looking at the Miami Dolphins, right, and what you're seeing now is teams deciding that we can be scared or we can try to take away the thing that for the first, whatever, 10 weeks of the season, we decided we weren't going to take away, which is time and space from this offense. It's no coincidence to me that the last two weeks defenses, by the way, the Chargers don't have some sort of crazy press man, you know, they're, they're not the New York Jets in the defensive backfield. They don't have a sauce gardener. They don't have a DJ Reed, right? I mean, Alohi Gilman, who is a no, wasn't good at Notre Dame. And you know, I'm a big Notre Dame guy. He was not good at Notre Dame out here making plays in the secondary. And it was a good defensive game plan. And what it did was dare the Miami Dolphins to come up with more three level passing concepts to say, Hey, we know that you can beat us down the field and we're going to give you, we, we might have an opportunity. You might beat us once or twice, but what we're not going to let you do is take time and space. And we're not going to let you get down the field with a free pass. And 
I liked that game plan. I think that was a smart idea what to do. Now, is it super repeatable? I don't know. It probably isn't super repeatable, to be quite honest. I think there's going to be high variance. Teams are going to try it, and they're going to get burned a couple of times, and then they're going to revert back to, we're going to play soft coverage, and we're going to let, you know, we're going to play trail technique, and we're going to let Tyree Kill get a six-yard head start, and then ask my guy to turn around and run with him, which is just a recipe for disaster, which is why teams had so much success throwing down the field. And you can't just double up on Tyreek Hill because you got Jalen Waddle on the other side. Um, so I think for me, like I, I look at that the same way that I look at the Bills. It's almost like these guys, these play callers, are so damn proud of the fact that their offenses, like they they succeed at this super high level. They're they're succeeding at the doctorate level. That well, we can't possibly cut the field in half and run some half field reads. Like they're too proud to to make things simple for their quarterbacks because they do the really hard stuff well. So let's just always do the hard stuff really, really well. And for me, this is my biggest complaint about Ken Dorsey is yeah, Josh Hill can make every single throw on the field. Why? So that means you can't run three level concepts. You can't run flood concepts. You can't run half field reads. You have to always run a full field reads. Like it's almost like they're trying to prove to naysayers. Well, oh, Josh Allen can only read half the field and Tua Tonga Viola. You can only check it down. Well, they're saying, fuck those guys. We're going to prove them wrong. We're going to do all the hard stuff all the time and succeed doing it. And like, yeah, that works. And yeah, that can win you football games. But is it sustainable in December? And I think you're looking at the Bills right now and saying, no, it's not. And you're looking at the Dolphins as well and saying, no, it's not. So like to, to Elf's point, these are two offenses that have to start to build in layups for their quarterbacks. And that's not saying that they're bad quarterbacks. So they can't do the thing really well, the hard stuff really well. It's just that every quarterback, Tom Brady, you name it, you have to be able to build in layups in order to have some of that bigger stuff still remain available. And you're not always pressing on those, on those long, um, those, those deep downfield throws. Yeah. And let me add on to that. Uh, Mike McDaniel, after the game against the chargers, that's one thing he is, he, he is honest. They asked him, you know, you know what happened at that game today? And he said, well, they had a better game plan than we did. And I got out coached. Now <laughs> it's, it's, it's one thing to actually say it and mean it. Cause it was the truth. But it's another thing to adjust. And yeah. his adjustments were – and I talked about this today on, on Twitter. You know, uh, when you look at film and you say, oh, you know, look what Tua's doing. You know, they're playing with inside leverage and he's still throwing to the inside. So what you got to do is, you know, when they're playing inside leverage, you just run a bunch of, you know, out routes and then you throw out routes and that's it. No, no. you If you do that, you're doing what the defense is asking you to do and is forcing you to do. What you got to come up with – is a game plan that nullifies all their leverages, all their leverage coverage, and whatever they're trying to do, and plays to your strength till they get out of those coverages. So then you could get back to what you do the best. Uh-huh. And they didn't do that. They just decided, okay, so if you're going to play inside leverage on us, we're just going to throw everything deep to the outside. <laughs> and we're not going to do anything and Alf, else. Your margin for error, like that's what they want. Right. Like they want to say, hey, listen, we'll give you free outside releases, but your margin for error as a quarterback becomes that much smaller because you're trying to go after the most difficult parts of the field. So what they were saying is, listen, I'm not going to give you inside stuff. And when you look at Tua, like I, I talk about this, too, sometimes is Tua is maybe best and most efficient when he's reading in to out. 
right? Like when mm-hmm. you can give him an inside release for free, Tua's going to take that every day of the week. He's going to throw it with accuracy. So when you're running zone coverage against the Dolphins and you want to let those, Tua will anticipate, he'll understand where the holes in that zone coverage is. If he can identify the coverage pre-snap and if you want to if you want to shift, you know, post-snap, Tua's has enough experience in the game now where he's seeing how those exotic looks go from, you know, cover three pre-snap to cover two, cover four post-snap or quarter, quarter, half post-snap. He's able to identify it, process it, and throw it the anticipation required. So if you're giving him free inside releases, which is what teams have been doing all year, he will eat you alive. But what I think the last two weeks they've done is say, listen, we respect this offense enough to say we're no free inside releases and we're done running zone coverage. And I think what that has done is it's almost it's similar to the Bills, right? But now beat us in the 25-yard bucket throw every single time at the sidelines. And it doesn't matter who you are. That's a, that is a 50, 60% at best completion percentage, like at the very best. And instead of taking the 9 out of 10 that he's getting across the middle. And I think that's the biggest difference. So I want to take that and spin it into this weekend's game. Now, Alf, mm. you talked about Mike McDaniel and you say, hey, we've learned that he's he's honest. The question is, is he flexible? Because now this is out there. It's on tape and it's been it's what everyone's talking about on Twitter. They're like, hey, you know, Bills fans, they're like, hey, I feel I feel super confident about this game now because I watched these two teams take that away. I think it was Mike Tomlin this season when he was talking about Gunnar Shevsky fumbling punts. He was like, you do something twice in the NFL. It's a trend. Like, that's it. Now there's a trend and there's evidence that this style of defensive play can really throw a wrench in what your coach wants to do. How confident are you? that he he's suddenly going to abandon this style and can just adopt a style of play that will take the short stuff, but also given the quality of our linebackers, that the short stuff will even be there for them. Well, the the confidence is high because he's pretty good. I think he's a pretty good head coach. And he had to have seen what, what worked well late in that game against the Chargers. Uh, they ran one speed out the entire game. Tua threw it to Waddle at eight yards. Waddle... Got the corner, got 11 more 19-yard gain. Uh, they didn't run any drags whatsoever. And I know it's hard, you know, like if you're not going to, you know, it was 28 pass attempts, all right? I just went over the film today. They didn't run a single drag. You're just going to have to run drags. You're going to have to put uh, Tremaine Edmonds in, in coverage. Uh, you know, if, if Matt, you're going to you're gonna have to identify when Matt Milano is actually going to come on a blitz because you guys either bring four and you like to bring five, and usually five is Matt Milano. When Matt Milano actually does come on a blitz, you got to target his zone because you nobody's got to replace him. You got to replace him. Yeah, you got to replace him with a player. And that's going to mean, you know, like, look, what they're doing with Mike Gusecki is almost criminal. It's obviously that Mike Gusecki yeah. is going to be somewhere else next year. Our head coach just doesn't like him. All right. <laughs> it's, it's just a simple fact. All right. Well, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't it? Isn't it the blind? He's given he's getting the Brian Flores treatment. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> no, no. Can I say the this? Guy has four I, targets. He has four targets in three weeks. What do you I, think? I'm, that, I'm interested that in your thoughts on this, which is, I think I, I, I really liked Jeff Wilson, and I, I really viewed him as a very good fit for the Bills. I didn't think it was a particularly good fit for the Dolphins. Here's why: I know that he can run the wide and mid zone in the Shanahan scheme. We, we've, we've seen it, right? And he's a good yards after contact kind of guy. 
But there was, to me, redundancy in that because I think Raheem Mozart can do the same things. Now, he's not as physical of a runner as Wilson is. What they needed, in my mind, was they needed a pass catching back. They needed a guy that was mm-hmm. a third down maven. Let Mozart be your first and second down back. A McKissick type, right? Like a, a James Cook type or a Naeem Hines type. Like to me, that move made way more sense for the Dolphins because that has to be the outlet. That has to be your check down guy. To your point, they're not using Mike Gusecki in the way. Mike Gusecki's a good downfield threat. He's a vertical threat tight end. They, I thought, miscalculated a little bit on going to get Jeff Wilson because Jeff Wilson is not a pass catcher. Yeah, I tend to uh, completely agree. Jeff Wilson has been great as far as a as a as a running back. Actually, actually running the system. Uh, he might not play in this game, by the way. He got injured against the Chargers. He had a big twenty yard run, and uh, it was a really ugly play. And when you see that a guy, the way he got pulled down. And his legs are still there, but his helmet is almost on the floor. Ooh. And then they say he's leaving God. the game due to a hip injury. You, you, yeah. you tend to start thinking, wow, this is bad, right? But our coach came out on Monday and said he's essentially 50-50 for the game because uh, it, they got the best-case scenario, it was his exact words, they got the best-case scenario on his injury on Monday. It's nothing that's going to hurt his season, but it could hurt his availability for this game. He did not practice today, but nobody practiced today. Uh, today's Tuesday. Nobody was on the field today. But since it's a Saturday game, we had to release an injury report. So they estimated his practice availability, and they put it as a DMP. So yeah. I would say he's 50-50. If he doesn't play, you're probably going to see the return of Miles Gaskin as the backup to Raheem Mostert. Yeah, Miles Gaskin, the guy who everyone gassed me up on last offseason for fantasy football, he f- Fucked me, but that's yeah, my fault. A lot of people. Yeah, it's not his fault. It's my. It's like most people. Like I, I see these people, these dickheads on Twitter, who will tweet at a player when they have a bad game. Like you cost him everything. No, you cost you that. You know why? Because you're literally betting on another human being. You are the horse's ass. And but I, every time I hear his name, that's what I'm thinking of is how I just bombed in fantasy with that pick way too high. But that's that's on me. It's not on him. But what is on these Dolphins running backs right now? Over the last two weeks, Raheem Oster, negative EPA. Like, that's wild. And his vision just looks like it's failing him. Like, there's a play in that Chargers game where it's a run to the left side of the formation. And if he just presses the whole, like, if he goes out wide, he's probably got eight, nine yards. And instead, he kind of sticks to the back of the lineman and just gets caught right at the line of scrimmage. And it's like, how did he not see that that's where you're supposed to kind of bend it outside and accelerate? He's it just doesn't look like he's getting it in terms of being able to see the field because we know he has foot speed. Jeff Wilson's injury, like, obviously, that sucks. And if he's not available, Gaskin, maybe he brings a different element to the table. I just know that this is a a Miami team that has really struggled to run the ball. And you're going to be going up against a Bills defense that hasn't allowed a team to rush for over 96 yards in a month. So I just feel like you're you're running the risk of, especially in bad weather, becoming really forced into a one dimensional type of attack. And if you have to go pass heavy, Nate, I want to ask you this for mismatches for Buffalo. I'm looking at that offensive line. Chris, you and I joke all the time, like Greg Little is on their roster. (laughs) 
<laughs> Greg Little has started multi, and we know what people think about Greg Little. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows what we think of him, what Russ Brown from over at Cover One thinks of him, because that was one of the funniest parts of our entire offensive line preview that year for the draft. Greg Rousseau has been hot. He, I don't, the loss of Von Miller, you know, obviously it's a loss. You're never going to replicate that. But he's been playing some of his best football since that injury. Eight pressures, two sacks, five hurries, two batted balls, four solo run stops, a forced fumble just just for good measure. And Oliver Jordan Phillips, you know, they're doing well. But Daquan Jones, Daquan Jones, the unsung hero of this defensive line, what a rock at the point of attack. He's also just seven pressures, a sack, three quarterback hits, two tackles for loss. Like that's he's everything we thought Star Latule was going to be. Shaq Lawson gets elevated to being a starter for the first time in a Bills uniform since he left, and he's turned in solid performances. He's got tackles for loss. He's got a sack. He's got a vicious. He's got multiple quarterback hits, but just a vicious one on Mike White that I'm shocked he got up from. Just a bunch of hurries, no missed tackles. So we know that the Bills like to mix in these A-gap delayed linebacker blitzes when they feel like they need to try to rattle a quarterback. But this strikes me as a game that you want to play things a little safer with your middle linebacker and weak side linebacker. Just knowing what they have in quick strike ability in terms of being able to throw the football for short yards. You just, Elf, you said it earlier. Waddle catches an eight-yard pass and tacks on an extra 11. It's a 19-yard gain. You need guys, you need your coverage guys in coverage for this one. But I like the matchup of this Bills defensive line with this Miami offensive line. Do you, how do you think about that, Nate? Like, am I, am I just being too much of a homer on this one? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think you really want to bring a lot of five. And, you know, I, Elf, Elf brought up a good point. Like, Matt Milano is the guy they bring a lot. And if they bring six, which is rare, it usually is. Demar Hamlin, um, and I actually really like Demar Hamlin. If they're going to disguise and and uh, Taron Johnson as well, like the the delayed slot back blitz, um, I do like a lot, and and I think both are are, are effective blitzers. The thing that I, that have, that's concerned me a bit about the Bills when they do blitz is they have not been getting home, um, and or rarely do they get home. And and then what happens is this defense is then exposed a bit and they're, they're put in difficult situations defensively which you've seen some third and longs get converted by by opposing offenses which are very frustrating right third and 12 you know that's got to be 99 out of 100 a stop um in the last couple of weeks the bills have given up some pretty heartbreaking third and long situations so um i would tend to agree rush four drop seven and you know cover up get get I, this might be the game drew that we see a little Kyrie elam and I've been pining for it. <laughs> I like the God's ears. <laughs> Dane, Dane Jackson's been a not been good uh, to be nice about it. And this is not the kind of matchup that if you're going to if you're going to start to use what we've seen the last couple of weeks against two in this offense as a successful as like a blueprint, then that's not going to be Dane Jackson. You're going to need the physicality, the length um, and the speed of Kyrie Elam. So this might be the week you see a little or. You know, Xavier Rhodes, but I, I'd be worried about putting Xavier Rhodes out there with the foot speed of, of Waddle and, and, and Tyreek Hill. But to answer your question, rush four, drop seven, and you're going to have to try to get home. I, I this is going to be a big game for Ed Oliver. I don't believe the way that you rattle Tua is by getting to him on the edge. I think it's got to be right up the middle. I think you're going to see some more 
of Greg Rousseau lining up a defensive, a defensive tackle on third downs and have him coming straight up the field with, you know, Jaquan Jones and maybe putting Ed Oliver at edge, which I saw a couple of times last week. Um, and then Boogie Basham doing the same. He is actually far more effective when he's on the inside rushing the quarterback than he is on the edge because he just is not athletic. So that could be the ways that I think you can get creative, but not necessarily expose yourself on the back end. Can you imagine they took Boogie Basham over Creed Humphrey? <laughs> We uh, took just, we took Liam Eikenberg over Creed Humphrey. Yeah. No, okay. Well, listen, so, I, I'm, I'm a I, Liam. I, I mean, I'm a Notre Dame fan, so you know. You, you know what? I we're all kindred spirits and suffering there on that front. Now, Elf, you're hearing us talk about your offensive line. What matchups do you specifically worry about heading into this one on the offensive line, and how do you think your offense might try to counter them? Well, I feel pretty weird about defending our offensive line because for for years I've been talking about how PFF doesn't know what the hell they're talking about when they grade offensive line play. And they seem to think that we have three guys that are top five guys at their position. I tend to agree with them. The problem is that the other two guys are as bad as you can get, okay? Teron Armstead, I will put Teron Armstead against Reggie White tomorrow or Lawrence Taylor. I don't care. He's had a great Ar- season. Teron Armstead has been great, although he's playing with one arm. Okay, he he wasn't particularly great against the the Chargers. He allowed a pressure. He allowed a sack, which you know you could put it, give it to him or not. But it was a blitz. He took the inside inside guy, tried to pick up Calvinoy. Calvinoy got the the sack. So I guess charge him with the sack. Uh, Robert Hunt has been great, and our center Connor Williams is probably headed to the Pro Bowl. That was a genius move by our head coach. Well, as soon as they signed him, I was thinking, okay, that's the left guard, and he's going to play next to Teron Armstead. And our head coach in the first uh, press conference he had about Connor Williams, he said, no, this is our center. Uh, we signed him to be our center, and he's going to be our center because he's perfect for my system. And, yeah, he's been right. Connor Williams has been really, really good. Uh, the issue has been at right tackle. It's been a revolving door. Brandon Shell has had good games. He should start, although there's rumblings that Eric Fisher – might take his job here really soon. Left guard, Robert Jones had a good game to start off. He was awful last week. He was not particularly great against the 49ers. So if you're going to attack anybody on that offensive line, I would say two-by-one blitzes or A-gap blitzes to try to make Carnal Williams do more work than he has to and put Robert Jones into decisions. And if not... Just attack Brandon Show with two by one blitzes over and over again and see if he keeps making the right decision over and over again because he's likely to screw up at least one. And if he screws up one, that's a hit on two and that's a dead down. And that's why I love the flow of this conversation because we just got done talking about a gap blitzes. It's like, well, you probably don't want to do that. And you're like, well, no, that's the way you're going to do it. It's like, okay, so what this game is probably going to come down to. I'm just getting the feel of it in terms of stopping the Miami offense is just a giant game of rock, paper, scissors as to do you want to gamble on what down and can we catch you when you do gamble and make you pay for it? And I it, think I think, though, to me, Drew, the, the the key to this game is which of these absolutely terrible run games is going to have the better day, because with if it's seven inches of snow falling like. To me, it's which of these two teams can actually get the most push up front. And I'm concerned that neither will. And it could turn into a similar game that we saw last week where the first score is at the end of the half. God, God don't you don't you dare speak that into existence. I'm just now, saying. <laughs> on defense, 
I'm just going to run this down. Because I feel like our listeners, at least the people who come over for the roundup every week here, Elf on our show, they've been indoctrinated in this line of thinking already because Elf has been articulating over and over again for us how defensive coordinator Josh Boyer has had to change almost his entire approach over the course of the year. He actually commented on it earlier in the show. Between the pup list and the IR, they've lost starter Brandon Jones, Nick Needham, Trill Williams, uh, Byron Jones, who I rem- I can still remember Dolphins fans being like, well, don't worry, because by week three, we're going to have X and Byron Jones and we're going to be great. He hasn't, he hasn't practiced yet, and we're already halfway through December. And, and Eric Rowe, I think I just saw him get hurt on Sunday. And yeah, he, has Howard, a, he has a hamstring injury, and he's also listed as a DMP today. Yeah. Uh, but remember, those are um, – uh, what are uh, estimated uh, yes. practice times since nobody's and practicing? Xavier and Howard, who's just being a fucking warrior, he's just gutting out a bunch of injuries, <laughs> just really trying to put it together. And then you 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 have losses in front seven at rush linebacker, which necessitates a trade for Bradley Chubb. This is a team that's used to playing a ton of man defense, press man. That's now kind of realizing, hey, I, we have to just b- b- due to attrition. We have to play more zone. And the results are mixed. You're 17th in EPA on defense. You made easy work over the course of the year with quarterbacks who have less a year or a full season or less of a starting experience. But Jared Goff, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, uh, Lamar Jackson, those guys, you all gave up 300. You gave up 300 yards passing to every single one of those quarterbacks. And look, the defense just didn't get it done those days, which underscores that you can take advantage of poor passers. But when you're talking about some of the upper echelon teams in the NFL, your defense really struggled early on and it's still trying to find its way. And the pressure rates have been really good, really good. I, we talked about it last week after the uh, 49ers loss about how you guys had four sacks in that game against San Francisco, but you didn't get the job done. And in fact, some of them actually exposed your linebackers to Christian McCaffrey out in space. (laughs) It's one of the things that sustained the 49ers through that game. So then you're coming into this thing against the bills who have worked more running back involvement into the offense since the last time these two guys played. And you're, we're the only team in the NFL who's currently rushed for a hundred yards in every game while having five of 300 plus passing. Now, this is usually where I would pivot, and I'd say, Elf, how do you think they'll deploy the linebackers and cornerbacks to slow the Bills down? But no, 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 no. That's not what tonight is about. Tonight's about correcting, you know, righting wrongs, addressing hot takery. So yesterday afternoon, Nate literally didn't give us any time to breathe. He tweets out, the Dolphins trading for and then paying $100 million for Bradley Chubb to be the third best edge rusher on their team will never not be funny to me. He's a guy. Now, Elf, when you hear that, <laughs> what goes through By the way, by the, I just want to say before Elf answers, VBS agrees with me. Ooh. VBS agrees with me, so... Well, let me explain. Let me explain, uh, Bradley Chubb. First of all, I, I disagree with your your characterization of how they played against uh, Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert was was great. So was Josh Allen. But um, like I've said many many times before, if if Josh Allen threw for two hundred yards 
on 32 attempts, is that a good game? And everybody keeps telling me no. Well, he did that twice. So that means that the Dolphin defense played pretty damn good against Josh Allen and that offense for 90 plays. So, you know, and, you know, let's not talk about the – because I absolutely hate that stat, the the almost interceptions. You know, the Dolphins dropped like four of them against Josh Allen. I thought they played really well against Josh Allen the first time. I thought they played pretty well against Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert's at home, good conditions. They scored six points in the second half. Allow your offense to to win the game. Only allow 23 total, one touchdown pass. 51 attempts for 371 yards. That's fine. You know, it's not great. Like you, you like to smash them into into a million. Well, I mean, pieces. that's the Viking school of thought. Which I hey, listen. There's room for here in the NFL. It's like listen. They don't they don't say how. They say how many. <laughs> how many did you win? Well, we're ten and one. Do we have a negative? Like our plus minus for scoring? It's negative right now. Who gives a rip? We're we're ten and one. <laughs> like this is like ten and two to whatever the hell they are. It doesn't matter. The fact is, is that that Vikings team. Like I, I hear what you're saying. You're like, look, uh, in the aggregate, we weren't terrible. And one of those games went well, one of them didn't. I hear you, Elf. I'm, <laughs> I'm willing to kind of walk some of that but, back. But on Bradley Chubb, I will say this. Uh, first of all, his pressure rates and his win rates are, are through the roof. I think they're top five. I think they're hugging, actually, Von Miller's. Uh, but well, Bradley Von Miller's Chubb, much older than him, though, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's he's also injured and on the bench with Emmanuel Ogba. So we can watch the game together (laughs) on Sunday. (laughs) That's another thing. We we lose our five-tech Emmanuel Ogba. The defense has been a disaster zone all year injury-wise. So Josh Ford is trying to make do with what he has. They only do two things well. They stop the run, conventional runs. Okay, Mm -hmm. They don't stop running quarterbacks, which that's an issue against Josh Allen. If Josh Allen and all those design runs, they're going to be successful. Dolphins just don't defend them well. They don't cover for long, but they do rush the passer well. So, you know, they're a very limited defense right now. But Bradley Chubb allows what jo- what Jalen Phillips is doing right now. Uh, the reason Jalen Phillips is getting one-on-one, you know, on the outside with a left tackle or a right tackle is because Bradley Chubb is getting all this attention on the other side. Melvin Ingram has been absolutely great. Melvin Ingram has been absolutely great. And like I said to Nate's uh, tweet, Bradley Chubb helps Jalen Phillips and Christian Wilkins helps them all. Christian and Wilkins definitely does help them all. There's no doubt about that. And that's how the, the defense is actually formed. That's how they that's how they're gonna get by. That's how if they play well, which they don't on the road, that's how they're gonna do it. Now, Nate, why don't you agree with what he just said? Well, he's not – he's facing, I think it's below average double teams, right? And first of all, let's just make something clear. Not a lot of teams double team on the edge. It's not an easy thing to do. It leaves – it exposes the interior, and you're certainly not going to double team Bradley Chubb or Jalen Phillips on the edge when you have Christian Wilkins on the inside. Elf's right. Christian Wilkins opens up a lot of things for other guys. Here's the problem that I have with Bradley Chubb is, yes, he wins one-on-one battles. He does not get home, though. He does not – to me anyways, there, there's two ways you can affect a quarterback in today's NFL, right? And first of all, it starts with winning your pass rush one-on-one, right? So that's number one. Bradley Chubb does do that. The numbers bear that out. The second thing is you either have to get to the quarterback or you have to get your hands in pass rushing lanes. Now, I don't have batted uh, PBUs in front of me to know if Bradley Chubb is effective in that area. Um, but from watching him, I, like I watched that game on Sunday night and – 
All I saw was Jalen Phillips absolutely dominating the point of attack. I didn't see much from Bradley Chubb. And it's worth mentioning as you're talking about this, Jalen Phillips leads the team with 55 total pressures. He's good. Bradley Chubb's been credited with 18. Yes. So, again, when I look at the pass pass rush win rate, I think that's a statistic that, like, I can look at and say, okay, this tells me an underlying piece of contextual information. But then I have to add in the layer of, okay, well, how many pressures is that creating? And then also on top of that, how many sacks is it leading to? And this is an argument that Bill's fans have had for a long time because we had Jerry Hughes who had lots and lots of pressures and not enough sacks. And in the NFL, pressures are, I think, a way that you can look at, but I think they've been overvalued in how you actually should look at the like how good a player is, at, especially at the edge position. So for me, this goes on to say this is a player that has 16 sacks in four seasons. And for me, he can't stay healthy. And you traded a first-round pick, which is a lot for him. But you knew trading a first-round pick, trading whatever you were going to trade to get Bradley Chubb, was also the back end of that was you were extending him to. So it's not like that's a surprise or anything. And the, the contract is written in a way and, and structured in a way that if in a year and a half – he is just a guy that gets 18 pressures and can't stay healthy. They can move on and and be fairly, you know, and, and and not have them just bog down their salary cap. But that first round pick in a year where you had your other first round pick removed. Yeah, I mean, Tua gives them the flexibility now. They don't have to worry about trading up or finding a quarterback in the draft, which is good for them. But yeah, I'm I'm not a huge Bradley Chubb believer. I think when you look at that defensive line, if Ogba's now Ogba is kind of a different story because Ogba, I think, was largely disappointing before injury uh, this year. But when you put Ingram, Ogba, and you put Jalen Phillips on there, and then you put Bradley Chubb in the situation, like Jalen Phillips is the alpha, and everyone else kind of kind of falls in place there. And for me, I'm not paying a hundred million dollars to a guy that's not my alpha, and that's where I kind of come in on that. And and will he help them? In theory, yes, he should, because now you have two defensive ends that you have to pay attention to. Um, but will it's yet to now it's very early. It's what four games into this, three games into this, but it's yet to really move into he's impacting games and he's freeing things up for Jalen Phillips. I think Jalen Phillips is largely being freed up because of how darn good Christian Wilkins is. By, by the way, uh Bradley Chubb has twenty nine pressures for the season, so uh, he has actually 13 with Miami. So, yeah, he hasn't played all that great. He he was awful in that in that Charger game. He was just not getting home. He was yeah. He was it's pretty much invisible. invisible. Yeah, he was invisible. I said he 18. was invisible in that Charger game. I said 18. The yeah. chart I'm looking at does say 13. They must only be quoting his Miami stats. I don't know if you guys have been watching, but I'm already on my fifth beer. We've only oh, been so here. the yeah, the the three just transformed into an eight. I got you. I got you. Yeah, the, the guy who's been a, a revelation, and and you know, paying Bradley Chubb for this team is okay because first of all, you have Melvin Ingram on a one year deal, and Ogba. They're going to probably try to get out of it next year. If not, he's playing next year, and then he's gone the following year. Jalen Phillips, they don't have to pay for three years, so. They have some flexibility. So guys come off when they have to pay other guys. The only guy that they really have to pay on that front on that front seven is Christian Wilkins in a year. But I'll tell you one thing, the one guy that you have to watch, and the Dolphins have already approached him to try to extend him for next year is Melvin Ingram. He has been unblockable 
Oh, yeah, man. brother. And trust me, no no Bills fan's going to be sleeping oh. on Mel- Melvin Ingram. He's a Bills killer, man. Oh, you mean to tell me the guy that, that uh, forced the fumble in in our own territory that turned into a Dolphins touchdown and who also harassed the shit out of our quarterback when he was wearing a Kansas City jersey in the play. No, no, no. We don't need any. (laughs) Nobody here needs any more reason to not like that guy. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's and and Andrew Van Ginkle, you know, poor guy. Like they got him playing outside linebacker now and they have him in coverage. But when he gets his his finger in the dirt, you know, when he hits his hand in the dirt and he comes off, as a five tech or as a as a wide nine tech, like he he creates pressure as well. Now, let me just shift this for a second, Nate. If you're Ken Dorsey, and trust me when I say that I kind of wish anyone, anyone else was Ken Dorsey sometimes, but I'm just a cranky prick like that. Yes, you are. Like, if you're Ken Dorsey, how do you personally go about getting after this injury-depleted secondary, knowing that Jalen Phillips, I mean, when you look at the matchup with our offensive line, it doesn't look like one that... No. They look like they can win at multiple spots. So you're going to have to devise a game plan that has a lot of short routes built into it, that has some outlets, that has the ability to – because, again, to your point earlier, you're not going to get away with playing this, hey, let's just keep doing the aggressive thing downfield. You're probably not going to get yeah. away with that in this game, especially if the weather's bad. Yeah, listen, I think they should probably try to use Cole Beasley. Um, and I know that's a little – it just, it just happened, right? But I, I also want to say that, like, I think that probably needs to happen. Is they're going to have to figure out ways? They've got to build in some layups. I think the weather's going to be bad, like it was this last week, and how that affects the 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 quarterback is really less of how it affects Josh Allen, but it affects his pass catchers. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie had three drops. Um, <laughs> you know, Dawson Knox had a drop. Devin Singletary, who just habitually drops the football, dropped the football. Um, so first of all, they've 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 got to catch the ball when Josh Allen throws it. Um, but I also think that. What you saw in the final drive, final drive of the first half, I think is indicative of why I'm so I've been so frustrated with the Bills offensively, which is it shouldn't look that easy in two minute and look so hard outside of two minute. And I, I said this the other day, like I, after the game and I was doing post game and Josh Allen was speaking and he mentioned, I think it was Matt Bovey that asked him, he said, Josh, why does it seem like in the two minute drill, you guys are working with, with relative ease and everything else looks so much harder. And he said, well, you know, defenses aren't able to get into their disguise coverages. They have to play basic because there's not enough communication. We're getting up to the line of scrimmage and we're snapping the ball before they really have time to move into more exotic looks defensively and in coverage. And immediately I'm thinking like, oh my God, man. Like it's a little bit of a Freudian slip, bro. Like what you're saying is when teams do anything that isn't man coverage or cover three and it doesn't rotate pre to post snap, then your offensive coordinator can't figure out plays to do to to, to work with that. Because I know Josh knows how to read it. You know, like I know Josh knows how to diagnose those things. Um, so I, yeah, like th- that that's what I'm thinking. So I think in this game too, you have to try to figure out a way to get the offense going on the ground. And last week, you can't just rely on Josh Allen. Um, you got to get Devin Singletary involved. You got to get James Cook involved. Um, and I, I'd like, now that I think Cole Beasley's back, I think one thing it allows you to do is use Isaiah McKenzie as more of a gadget player, which he just did. That's what he is. He's not a full-time receiver in the NFL. He he literally challenged people, and this is why people bust my balls. They're like, dude, you live in Buffalo. Why You have all these problems with Isaiah McKenzie. Why don't you go to his podcast taping? I go, why would you, why would you do that? 
I wouldn't go because I'd have 15 beers and then I might heckle. Chris was at <laughs> Chris. You went to a comedy show with me one time in our entire life. I Correct. literally could not help myself. You, you hate. No, because Dan, Dan, Dan Soder said something about Alabama football and you had to yell out. I could, it, it, it was a visceral thing that just came out of my mouth before my brain could even get a hold of it. And he was talking about how if AI ever became sentient, that it would crush yeah. all of us. He was, it would be like Alabama versus Troy, 52 nothing over. And I was like, roll tide. And he looked and goes, that's how I know we're fucked. Because that right there, I'm talking about the genocide of the human race, and some asshole here in the front row still yells out Roll Tide. <laughs> He's like, whose side is this guy on? And Chris has never forgiven me for it. So, Elf, now if I were to turn around and give you the keys to the Bills offense and the paycheck that comes along with it, how would you suggest that we can find the weaknesses in the Dolphins' defense and pass rush? Uh, by the way, before I before I tell you and before I tell you my biggest fear – that uh of that Bills offense. Uh you understand that Joe Brady lives like a block away from my house? <laughs> what? You I, didn't know that? No. Yeah, I just re- I just remembered that because I was looking him up because he was, you know, he's your quarterback's coach. And he's always he's always out in the out and about as far as like, you know, for every big job in college. And there was a rumor that Miami might approach him for the, the OC job for University of Miami. And then I remember, like, you know, how come I've never told these guys that Joe Brady, he used to jog right in front of my house every, every single day. Yeah, he lives like a block away. From, if you look at his bio, uh, it kind of tells you where he's from and where he lives. That's my city. That's where I live, Miami Lakes. So, but anyway, you guys signed John Brown, what was it, two weeks ago to your practice squad, and now he's activated. He's been playing, right, the, the last couple of weeks? Yeah. As soon as you guys signed John Brown, I said, "Ugh, this is not good. Like this is this is a bad situation, and this is this is just not good." First of all, he's a dolphin killer. Always been a dolphin killer, but it's not because he's a dolphin killer. It's because what he allows the Bills' offense to do. I think your offense is at their best now. The weather might not allow for this to happen, okay? Because if it's if it's kind of slippery and kind of snowy, and the the, the field is going to be extremely heavy then speed is not going to be, you know, initial speed is going to be important, but speed down the field is not going to be a factor at all. So what John Brown allows you to do is to see if he's ready to do it. If he's ready to run 9 to 10 to 12 buddy routes, which are, you know, just straight 9 routes to see how a, a secondary reacts. If he's ready to do something like that, that could start opening up all kinds of throws for Josh Allen. And I fear that. I do fear that because in 11 personnel, if you use John Brown, especially in the slot, that's going to hold a safety. It's going to hold a safety every single time because I don't see the team. I look at the Chiefs roster, the Jets maybe, because uh, the Jets, when they play cover, man, they know how to play cover three and they know how to play it really, really well. So maybe the Jets can handle it. But I saw that John Brown even got a target deep on the Jets. Is that right? Yep. Okay. So even on them, John Brown got got down there. I think that's the key to the offense going forward. It might not be a factor on Saturday night due to the weather, but in better conditions, John Brown could be the factor to open up this this Bills offense completely. <laughs> because how are people going to – 
because you have to account for them. There's no way you could just, you know, just play them straight up. Okay, so if he's gonna start holding a safety, I know you guys don't like Gabe Davis too much. We well, like him a lot down here. I, what I like is Gabe Davis in the slot, and the problem is, is like that's where he's been. Anytime you can devise a route to get him on a linebacker and a safety, that's where literally his entire career's production has come from. It's the only yeah, reason anybody Stephon knows Diggs, his fucking name. And at Stephon the same Diggs and Gabe Davis against softer coverages because John Brown is going to hold the safety. It, that's the way forward in 11 personnel, in my opinion. God. See, Chris, these guys are so much smarter than me. I'm that's happy that we I, – I, <laughs> I'm happy that we have them. Nicole Beasley, Nicole Beasley, you know, he's he's obviously a really good player. He was, mm. he was also a Dolphin killer a couple of years ago. But, you know, what does he have left? Uh, there's, you know, there's, there's whispers that, that there's not much left in the tank. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how he gets rolled out. John Brown was interesting because I saw him come open during that New England game a couple of times. What I do know he still is that- ha- he still has the smoke, by the way. Like if you watch it on film, if you watch like the last two weeks, obviously he almost like Elf said he almost got he almost connected on that corner route, that mm-hmm. deep corner. But the thing I've noticed is in the, he wasn't targeted in the Patriots game, but you watched him run a straight line, yeah. and I thought that's still John Brown. So we've gotten to this point now. Where we've been sitting here, I've talked about multiple hot takes from Nate. And really, Chris, we made it through this whole podcast with no real animosity. Isn't it awesome? Yeah, I like Elf. I, I, I like him. So Cool. I can't wait to hear him on Sports Talk Saturday. <laughs> yeah, when are you having him on WGR? Well, unfortunately, this Saturday is the game, and I'm not hosting Sports Talk Saturday because I'm going to be doing pregame and postgame. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's in the works. It's going to happen, so. Elf, was it nice to get to sit here? I mean, literally, like, was it nice to get to sit down and have a real football conversation with Nate? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's, general, there's a general, there's a general respect between the the two franchises and the two fan bases for the most part. Uh, you know, well, for the most part, do. but I'll tell you this: I almost tweeted the other day. I saw something. They were like, if you, someone gave you a free plane ticket to anywhere in the world and twenty five thousand dollars right now, but you had to leave in the next thirty minutes, where would you go? And my response was, wherever the fuck Brian Cox Sr. is coaching right now in New York, because I will fly to wherever that is, I'll pay for an Uber, and I'll buy the best megaphone I can get my hands on, maybe some speakers, and I will heckle this shit. Double middles, the whole nine. That guy doesn't yeah, do me. I own three game-used jerseys, okay? <laughs> uh, Zach I Thomas. I will see I own that guy a Lewis Oliver. I own a Lewis Oliver game-used jersey, and I own a Brian Cox-used jersey. God. That guy is beloved. Yeah, well, he can kiss my ass. Here's what I love <laughs> is that you guys are both beloved by me, and I'm happy we could get together and do this. Chris, they, they were downright amicable. I like this. I mean, it seemed almost cathartic. Yeah, because Twitter's not yeah, a real exactly. place. That's, That's right. not where that real right. discourse takes place. Now, here's what I love. I'm just waiting for the buddy cop film to come out. I'm picturing the first lethal weapon. The reason why I is because could, I could get the mullet grown. Well, Nate, you already have dumb hair. Like that's it. You're, <laughs> you already have stupid hair. And Elf, I can absolutely picture a world where you just declare that you are too old for this shit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Easily. Easily. Uh, yeah, obviously. And I, and I do too say this. this I do say that all the time. <laughs> I said, I actually send I said it about 1130. PM on Sunday night. I'm like, 
It was like their their four hundredth nine route that they threw into the stands, and I'm like, okay, this is enough. Yeah, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> I I love both of you guys. Why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can, where they can find you on social media and where they can find your works? Elf, we'll start with you. Uh, you can always get my whatever we do on the number three yards per carry on Twitter. You want to follow me? It's Alf underscore Artiaga. You want to listen to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts? Spotify iTunes, anywhere. Nobody needs to know where, no one needs to know where they can find me. They know where they can find me. <laughs> By the way, no predictions on this game? Uh, I'll, 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 say, prediction. I'll do a I prediction. I want to wrap it with predictions. Guys, let's go round table. Let's start with Chris. Since Chris thinks he's all of a sudden the uh, master gambler here because he, he hit one of like – every time I shit on his parlays, he hits. He hits. Don't, don't, don't let it – don't shit on it. Okay, well it- – Okay, well, it's, I've hit I hit three parlays this year in college football, and then I won a pool this week with forty six other people. I was one of two people out of the pool to take the Jaguars over the Titans, one of three to take the Panthers over the Seahawks, and I won four hundred and sixty dollars. So it's probably on. Uh, I just need more of Drew shitting yeah, on my bed because when Drew when Drew goes public shitting on my betting i end up winning whatever i'm betting on so drew needs to keep that up uh weather snow i might be sick on saturday and i can't go to work bills are gonna win this game i think it'll be close i'm gonna say it's gonna be 26 to 20 buffalo elf what do you got uh, I am, I'm a big horse better. Okay. And when you play horses and actually horse owner also, but when you play horses, you usually look for trends and you want to peak toward that one performance, right? Where then you start to cycle down once again, I think they're at the bottom of their cycle. I think they bottom out on Saturday night and then they start their up cycle against the Packers the following week. So they're not trending well into this game. They did not build the kind of game that they needed to beat Buffalo. I thought it was going in that direction when they beat the the Browns the way that they did, but it hasn't gone that way. They're going to find answers, and they're required to play a good game. They're not, you know, if they get out there and they just get absolutely smoked, then you know the questions are not going to be so friendly at Miami Gardens on Monday. So I think they play a good game. And I think that they they cover. Uh, I believe that the line right now is what minus seven, seven and a half is what I saw last. Okay, I, I kind of like seven and a half. I think they'll come out kind of angry and try to play their best game. But I think Josh Allen and his design runs are going to be too much. I think he's going to run for maybe seventy five yards, and that'll be the difference in the game. So how about like twenty four? to 17 and the Dolphins just cover. Nate, take us out. What do you got? I, I can't disagree with Elf. That's kind of where I was going. I do think the Dolphins end up covering. Um, I think you can probably hammer the under, whatever that's going to be. It's funny. I think um, right before halftime, when it was 0-0 um, on Sunday, I think Caesar Sportsbook was teasing a 29-point under in that game. And I almost, I was like, oh, my God, I got to hit this. Like, it just doesn't look like anyone's going to score. And then the Bills immediately score in that drive. And then everybody starts scoring. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's what it'll look like, but I do think there's going to be a feeling out period for both of these offenses as, you know, Tyreek Hill's a little banged up. 
Um, I, I think Tua is a little banged up with the ankle. Um, the footwork has just, to me, that's the thing I've been noticing about Tua. Back with the happy feet. The and when and I think Steve Young was mentioning it on Monday Night Football last week was just talking about like when Tua was really on. His feet and his mind were in sync, and I think right now they're not. So for me, I like 23-16, 23-17, something like that. I like him to cover, and I like an under, you know, 40-something, 49-and-a-half. Over-under is 42. Ooh, that's low. Uh, well, my mine wouldn't, mine wouldn't be considered an, an under, I don't think. So let's just say I don't care about the, the, the game spread, but I, I do think that uh, – I, I do think that the Dolphins cover. This is going to this is going to be a one score game. <sighs> Everyone's calling a one score game. This is I, I, I'm I'm getting nervous now because I'm going to be drinking in a parking lot from 10 a.m. until eight o'clock, and then I got to go into this thing. Chris, you're going to have to deal with me. This is going to be great. Yeah, <laughs> Just yeah. a handful of times a year, you get subjected to game day, Drew. It's it's tell everybody, it's a trip. It's the <laughs> worst. <laughs> I'm already Hard no. it. Hard yeah. no. Guys. Yeah. It's it's different for a one o'clock game. This is an eight fifteen game, and I'm gonna be with Drew for two shifts. <laughs> it, it literally is one of the most taxing experiences of Chris's life as a non-people person. I can't wait for it. I can't wait to see you all out at the tailgate if you're coming. Again, 5230 Big Tree Road over in the mud lot. We will be out there probably about 10 a.m. 10 a.m. We're going to start. We got smokers going. We're going to have the food out. It's going to be a great time. I am really pumped that these guys can come do this on our show. I love the, like I said, buddy cop energy <laughs> I get from this. I'll be, watching, just- I'll be watching the game in my in my backyard as usual. And we're also expecting terrible weather down here in Miami uh, for Saturday night. We're Kindred spirits. Yeah, we're, it's going to be awful down here. It's going to be about 62 degrees. <laughs> And I think I'm a little bit of a win. There's a threat. There's a threat of, of, of some drizzling rain in the morning. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get through Saturday. <laughs> I'm going to have to bundle up to watch this game. You bastard, Elf. I love you. Guys, Elf Artiaga, Nate Geary, that's Chris Krueger. I'm Drew Gear, and this has been your Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.